Hey, Faye, it looks like we've got a great opportunity from our friends at Rosh Review for our chief residents who are studying for their board exams. So Rosh Review is partnering with us to give away some ABOG qualifying exam QBanks, which involves 3,000 questions that can help you guys study either for the qualifying exam or just for your CREOGs. This is a $650 value, so it's an awesome package. And definitely as you're trying to study for those written boards, answering questions is the biggest thing, I think, to try and get prepared. So we think this is an awesome opportunity and we want you to get signed up. So the way to get signed up is to go onto our website at www.creogsovercoffee.com and answer the Rosh Review question of the week for our most recent episode. Once you answer that question at the bottom of the answer explanation page, you'll see another button to sign up for the giveaway. So sign up for the giveaway there and Rosh Review will announce the winners the following Friday. So we hope you take the opportunity to go onto the website, answer the Rosh Review question of the week and see if you win this ABOG qualifying exam QBank package. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs Over Over Coffee. Coffee. All right, Faye, we're going to keep moving in our OB pathway and get into what I'm sure is a super exciting topic of thrombocytopenia. (laughs) You seem so jazzed about this, Nick. Yeah, I don't know if I could say I'm jazzed, but it probably, it, or I shouldn't say it probably is, it is an important topic because thrombocytopenia is super confusing. Yeah, that's true. Um, so what are our learning objectives? Yeah, so today we're going to review the etiology behind the different types of thrombocytopenia in pregnancy. Um, we're going to learn when further evaluation is needed, and then we'll also briefly discuss some of the treatments of different types of thrombocytopenia in pregnancy. If you want to follow along, um, you can read Practice Bulletin 207, which is thrombocytopenia. All right, Nick, so start us off. Talk to me a little bit about thrombocytopenia in pregnancy. Yeah, so... One of the things that makes thrombocytopenia so challenging, particularly in pregnancy, is that there's a really broad differential diagnosis, right? Um, And not all of these differential diagnoses are actually related to pregnancy. We can start off with the easy stuff, the definition of thrombocytopenia, and that's when platelets are under 150,000 per microliter. So what exactly is normal in pregnancy and what should we be looking for? Remember way back when, our very first episodes, we talked about physiologic changes of pregnancy um, leading to increased plasma volume and not necessarily an increased equally in various blood components. And so ultimately, pregnancy is dilutional on some of these blood components and platelets certainly are dilutional as well. A National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, um, they actually followed the mean platelet count in pregnancy, seeing that a non-pregnant patient started out at 273,000, decreasing in the first trimester to 251, second trimester 230, third trimester 225, at time of delivery dropping to 217, and then postpartum at a mean follow-up of seven weeks, actually increasing back towards that non-pregnant range of 264,000. Um, so at least this big data set suggests that we may experience some physiologic decrease in platelet count, or again, at least that dilutional component in pregnancy. But thrombocytopenia does happen, Faye. So what exactly causes thrombocytopenia? 
Yeah, so I think, you know, to start us off, we have to, of course, talk about gestational thrombocytopenia, right? And this is a benign and self-limited process that can occur in pregnancy, um, and it may even occur in the first trimester, but usually it's more common as the pregnancy continues. And the frequency is actually 5 to 10% at the time of delivery. But remember that gestational thrombocytopenia is a diagnosis of exclusion, and it's acceptable if there is mild thrombocytopenia, uh, but you should probably start to suspect something else if the platelets drop below 100,000. Certainly, it still can be gestational thrombocytopenia at that point, but it really should prompt you to start thinking about something else. Other common causes are things like immune thrombocytopenia, or ITP, and this occurs in 1 to 3 out of 10,000 pregnancies, but really low platelets only affect a small portion of patients with ITP. It is more frequent in pregnancy than in the general adult population where it's seen in maybe 3 out of 100,000 patients, but this may also be because of increased recognition where we're checking CBCs multiple times during a pregnancy. ITP is an autoimmune condition where antiplatelet antibodies interfere with platelet production and causes destruction of circulating platelets. And this diagnosis is based on exclusion of other causes of thrombocytopenia. Certainly, um, you know, you could check these antiplatelet antibodies, but these are neither sensitive nor specific, and so it's not really recommended to check these to um, make a diagnosis of ITP. And then, you know, the last thing that I kind of wanted to talk about that are some of the more common causes of thrombocytopenia in pregnancy is, of course, preeclampsia or HELP syndrome, which is, you know, our favorite cause of thrombocytopenia here. Just remember that it is very, very rare when the patient is less than 24 weeks. And there are, of course, going to be other signs and symptoms, usually with preeclampsia and HELP. Those things include things like elevated blood pressures, headache, vision changes, right upper quadrant pain, all those things that we ask about, as well as other hematologic abnormalities like anemia due to hemolysis. So you'll, you might also see a high LDH and you may also have abnormal LFTs and also changes to things like your kidney function. We won't go too much into preeclampsia in this episode because we do discuss it pretty extensively elsewhere, but it's always something to keep in mind. Nick, what about some less likely things that could cause thrombocytopenia in pregnancy? Yeah, these are the exotic things. And we've talked about a couple of them on the podcast before um, that sort of fall, for the most part, into the differential diagnosis for preeclampsia and help. Um, But let's run through a few. So one less likely thing to keep in mind is disseminated intravascular coagulation, DIC. And usually when you're seeing DIC, you're also dealing with some sort of big underlying cause of DIC, right? A placental abruption, sepsis, massive bleeding, etc. Um, patients are going to have bleeding and oozing at their IV sites, for example, in DIC because of the depletion of platelets and clotting factors. You usually will have low fibrinogen and elevated PT and PTT labs um, sort of indicating that as well. Another less likely thing is the acute fatty liver of pregnancy, which we talked about in our imitators of preeclampsia episode. Um, another imitator of preeclampsia that can happen here that definitely has to do with platelets is TTP or thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, um, which can have an either immune or hereditary cause. TTP is usually going to present with purpura, those like big blotchy ecchymoses on the skin, um, neurologic changes, fever, kidney injury, and also 
be coincident with elevated blood pressure, so it gets confused for preeclampsia. Remember, like we talked about in that episode's diagnosis is based on a reduced activity of Adam's T13, but in a lot of places, this is a send-out lab that is not going to come back for some time, so you're relying on your other clinical acumen putting the syndrome together of fever, neurologic changes, kidney injury, um, and the purpura to, to try and put this all together. You're also going to see schistocytes on a peripheral blood smear, um, and your hematologist will report that back to you. Other less likely things to keep in mind include lupus, the great imitator, infectious syndromes, and then other inherited platelet disorders um, that hopefully coming into pregnancy you're aware of because um, it's always really challenging to figure out an inherited platelet disorder during pregnancy. All right, so regardless of what your differential is or what your leading prospect is, Faye, we probably can define a point at which we should start to worry, right? Yeah, absolutely. So usually the cutoff for when you should start to think about something else is when the platelets at any point in pregnancy drop below 100,000. And usually this is beyond the lower end of gestational thrombocytopenia. So not saying that it's not gestational thrombocytopenia just because the platelets drop below 100,000, but that is usually um, when you want to start thinking about something else because platelets of less than 100,000 only occur in 1% of uncomplicated pregnancies. The other time to worry is if the platelets are between 100 to 150,000, but there are other concerning factors present. Um, but most of the time, if there are not, you don't need to work up, and this can usually be attributed to gestational thrombocytopenia. The other worrisome factors, of course, are things that we already talked about. So someone who's got those high blood pressures, where you're concerned for preeclampsia, if they have DIC, um, if they're coming in with like neurological symptoms and like a fever and kidney injury, and you're thinking about something else. Remember that there is an increased risk of spontaneous bleeding once the platelet drops below 10 to 20,000. So that is definitely another time to start worrying. And then the other cutoff to be aware of is that your institution is going to have a cutoff for platelets for the ability to give neuraxial analgesia. Most places are somewhere between 70 to 80,000 because there are studies that show that with platelets greater than 70,000, a spinal hematoma or epidural hematoma is very, very unlikely. But there, it's very different depending on which institution you're at. So so just be aware of that cutoff because even though your patient may be asymptomatic, you don't want your patient to come in and labor and all of a sudden not be able to get their epidural that they want. All right, Nick, so we listed a ton of causes of thrombocytopenia. So let's kind of go down the line and talk about how do we start evaluating our patient. Yeah, so evaluating the patient obviously starts out with a good history and physical, right? Um, that's what you're always going to say, what you're always going to start with. Um, and this can sometimes help you determine what it is or is not. If the patient's well-appearing and has no pain, no vaginal bleeding, no elevated blood pressure, and no other major complaints, um, you're usually not picking up AFLP, DIC, TTP, preeclampsia at that point, right? Like that's the well-appearing person. But now you got to go look into the patient's chart and take a look. What were their platelets running before? Um, what other medical problems do they have? Are there any new medications that the patient might be taking? Do they have any history of things like lupus or TTP or liver disease or anemia? And then because you've done the CBC and identified thrombocytopenia, did the lab do a smear? Are there abnormalities like schistocytes um, or platelet clumping or other stuff that might be detected that way? 
And most of the time, if you have someone who's, again, in the outpatient setting, the walking well, sitting in your clinic, you're going to have some time to try and figure this out. This isn't something that you necessarily have to you know, run them over to triage to try and get figured out immediately. So that brings us basically to saying, you know, what about the asymptomatic patient whose platelets are over 100,000, right? So these patients are the ones with platelets between 100 and 150,000 without other cytopenias or other major clinical findings that can be attributed to gestational thrombocytopenia. The other major cause in this category could be ITP, um, but minor ITP with platelets over 100,000 doesn't necessarily need treatment. So you may not be able to really distinguish between that minor ITP and gestational thrombocytopenia. What you want to do in this instance is just to check your platelets monthly to make sure they don't drop below 100,000 um, or below that threshold for neuraxial anesthesia. Um, and as you're getting into that later third trimester, if you're thinking about induction or other things like that, you may need to check those platelet counts further if they're dropping towards that threshold. What about Faye, the patient with no symptoms and their platelets do drop under 100,000? Yeah, this is kind of when you need to do a little bit more digging. So other than all of those things that we've talked about before, you want to review that CBC, make sure there's no other cytopenia. So like, are they anemic? Do they have low white blood cell counts? And you want to ask for things like a smear. And this is just to kind of evaluate and make sure that this patient is doesn't have something really rare, like um, some type of like bone marrow issue where they're not making um, those blood cells. You also want to evaluate them for um, certain uh, infectious diseases, the most common of which is HIV. And this is usually already done in a lot of the pregnant patients that come and see us with their first trimester labs, um, because this can also lead to thrombocytopenia. You can also obtain other things um, in their coagulation panel, like a PT, PTT, and fibrinogen level to make sure that they are not grossly coagulopathic and obtain a CMP to evaluate for things like the kidney and liver function. And if there are no other obvious signs, it is okay to get hematology involved early because it is more likely that these patients are having something like ITP if the platelets are dropping below 100,000. And specifically, if these patients um, have an even lower platelet count, they may need treatment with steroids steroids or even IVIG um, in order for them to get to a platelet level where they can get neuraxial analgesia or um, potentially if their platelets are really low, get them to a place where it's safe for them to deliver either vaginally or via a C-section. Okay, so uh, we've talked now about the asymptomatic patient, Nick. What about the symptomatic patient who has a platelet count of less than 100,000? Yeah, so these are the patients that probably are showing up in your triage area um, and you're finding platelets under 100,000 because they have some sort of funky symptom going on, whether that's you know, related to bleeding or not. And a lot of this, again, is going to depend on your history and physical. We're pretty good as obstetricians at evaluating for preeclampsia. So, you know, do your vital signs, your physical exam, and ask about those usual preeclampsia things, the headaches, the vision changes, the swelling and edema. Um, but consider adding into your review of systems thinking about fever, thinking about bruising or purpura, other skin changes, as that can help you increase your sensitivity for something like TTP. Labs with a platelets under 100,000 beyond the CBC, you're going to be wanting to get a CMP, a COAG panel, and as Faye mentioned earlier, thinking about things like HIV. Um, you may need to get like an LDH and a bilirubin as well if that's not part of your usual screening. Um, and a urinalysis also can help you look for things like infection and sepsis that might be contributing to this picture. 
If you are suspicious of TTP, again, that combo of fever, kidney injury, and neurologic changes, make sure that one, you get a CT of the head to rule out any sort of brain bleed. Next, you're going to send for that Adams T13 level. Um, and then finally, get the hematology folks involved early, um, as well as MFM, um, because they're going to help you go through this and try to keep the patient stable. Faye, we've talked a lot about the differential and sort of this initial workup, um, but I think one of the scariest things to encounter as an obstetrician is to be in the midst of it or in the thick of it with a patient with thrombocytopenia, particularly severe thrombocytopenia. So what do we need to keep in mind on a treatment and management front? Yeah, so we'll kind of go from like the scariest thing to the least scary things. Um, so the first is, of course, if you have a bleeding patient who has severe thrombocytopenia. So if someone has platelets of less than 10,000 or 20,000, these are patients who are at an increased risk of having some type of spontaneous bleed. And if their platelets are less than 20,000 and they have a severe bleed, so for example, like intra-abdominal, intracranial, you should give them platelets regardless of the underlying cause of thrombocytopenia. So yes, even if they have ITP, TTP, and you know that those platelets are going to get consumed, the fact that they have that severe bleed means that they need platelets and you should give them those platelets now. Some platelet thresholds to consider for delivery is trying to get a patient to a platelet count of above 20 to 30,000 for a vaginal delivery and above 50,000 if possible for a C-section. And then again, we talked about those neuraxial analgesia, is, which is institution-based, um, usually above 70 to 80,000. What are some other uh, considerations if a patient has low platelets um, and it comes to delivery, Nick? Yeah, so one of the big things is that operative vaginal delivery is relatively contraindicated with severe maternal thrombocytopenia. Um, and the rationale for this is that there is a potential concern that there could be fetal thrombocytopenia as well um, that's either immune-mediated in a process like ITP um, or hereditary in other processes too. If you need to perform an operative delivery, forceps is the favored modality over vacuum. Because forceps are gonna spare the bleeding complications of cephalohematoma for the fetal head. And remember, just because someone has ITP does not mean that they can't have an operative delivery. Really, this is based on what the platelet count is and what the clinical scenario is. Let's get into some specific disorders, Faye, um, and talking about some of the particular treatments we might consider you know, as we're following somebody in the long term. Sure. So, you know, we talked first about gestational thrombocytopenia. And again, this really does not need any type of specific treatment. If a patient has ITP, for example, and their platelet counts are dropping and you need to get them to a platelet count of a certain amount so that they can get their epidural or deliver in a safe manner, these are patients that you can consider giving steroids to or IVIG. And the dosing of steroids depends kind of on the timing of when you want to get their uh, platelets up to a certain level. So you can give them prednisone between 0.5 to two milligrams per kg per day for about two weeks, followed by a gradual taper. And you may need about two weeks to actually see a peak effect. And usually it will take one to four weeks for you to see that peak. For those patients who are not responding to steroids, you can also give them IVIG. And again, this is going to be in conjunction with your hematologist. We um, OBGYNs really are not writing scripts for IVIG. But this should be given at least one week in advance to allow for maximal efficacy and platelet count retesting if you're trying to raise platelet counts for certain procedures. Again, if refractory, other methods in pregnancy 
aren't very well studied and you really should have a conversation with your MFM and hematology colleagues if someone has really low platelets and you know, you're know you talking to them about other treatments like rituximab, for example. For things like TTP, the treatment really is plasma exchange. And unfortunately, TTP is not always recognized until someone presents in crisis. And then of course, for things like preeclampsia or DIC that's due to an abruption, the treatment is gonna be delivery. Nick, so I know the practice bulletin does talk a little bit about like fetal testing or neonatal testing of platelets. And, you know, this might be a, another podcast for us somewhere down the line, but talk to me a little bit about just kind of like the briefest um, things about some of the some of these things that they discuss, like fetal testing or neonatal testing. Yeah. I mean, it really boils down to that there isn't good evidence to suggest that we should be routinely testing fetal platelets um, via pubs or peri-umbilical blood sampling, like performed kind of like an amniocentesis um, or from fetal scalp blood collection during labor. There are a couple of reasons, though, to consider testing neonatal platelets, though we're not going to get into a big discussion today about fetal or neonatal thrombocytopenia. Um, One particular consideration could be maternal ITP. As we mentioned earlier, this is potentially immune-mediated, and so those antibodies could cross over and cause neonatal thrombocytopenia. If there's a history of neonatal thrombocytopenia in a previous pregnancy, for instance, with neonatal alloimmune thrombocytopenia, we've mentioned on the podcast before, kind of like the alloimmunization of platelet disorder. NATE is not usually associated with maternal platelet issues, though, so that would be kind of an unusual thing to have together. But if there is a history of neonatal thrombocytopenia from a previous pregnancy, that may push you to want to test it in the current pregnancy. Um, There also are congenital anomalies that can be associated with thrombocytopenia um, or neonatal infectious syndromes like CMV and rubella that can be associated with thrombocytopenia. And then finally, any clinical bleeding or petechiae on the infant would also be a reason to consider getting testing. All right, Faye, I think that does it for thrombocytopenia and pregnancy. Why don't we try to summarize? Sure. So we first started off the podcast by talking about um, the evaluation of thrombocytopenia in pregnancy and how platelets actually do decrease over time in pregnancy due to the dilutional effect of having increased plasma volume and not necessarily an equal increase in blood components. We briefly began to talk about the causes of thrombocytopenia, the most common of which are gestational thrombocytopenia, immune thrombocytopenia, um, as well as preeclampsia or HELP syndrome. There are a couple other differentials to round out your diagnoses that include things like DIC, acute fatty liver, TTP, which remember TTP can be immune or hereditary and presents with neurologic changes, fever, kidney injury, um, and can have elevated blood pressures and has reduced activity of Adams T13. Other differentials to keep in mind include things like lupus, infection, and inherited platelet disorders. We really should think about um, workup when the platelets drop below 100,000 in pregnancy or if they are between 100 to 150,000, but there are other factors that make you suspicious present. And also remember the cutoffs of spontaneous bleeding of platelets being less than 20,000 and also know your institutional cutoffs for platelets for the ability for your patients to get neuraxial analgesia. So with evaluating the patient, again, in a well-appearing patient without symptoms, it's not usually going to be a major life-threatening cause, but you want to do a good chart dive and a good history of the patient. Make sure that there's no new drugs, other disease processes, and other things on the peripheral smear that might point to a cause. 
For an asymptomatic patient with platelets over 100,000, usually as long as there's not another form of a cytopenia or other clinical findings, this is attributable to gestational thrombocytopenia. The other major cause could be ITP, but if platelets are over 100,000, there's not necessarily a difference in what you do about that. You should check platelets at least monthly to make sure they don't drop below 100,000, um, or essentially that threshold for neuraxial anesthesia. If the platelets get lower than that in someone without symptoms, broaden your differential. Think about things like HIV, getting coags, get CMP to evaluate liver and kidney functions. Um, and now you're really thinking more about ITP. Um, and you may need to consider consulting hematology for more formal evaluation of this. And obviously, if the patient is symptomatic, they're showing up in your triage unit with uh, platelets under 100,000. Again, a lot of stuff is going to focus on history. Again, don't forget about things like TTP with those fevers, kidney injuries, neurologic changes, um, but broaden your differential further. Beyond thinking about this, get CMP, coags, HIV, um, bilirubin, and get heme and MFM involved early to help you round this out. In terms of management, remember the treatment for bleeding with a severe thrombocytopenia should be a platelet transfusion regardless of the underlying cause of the thrombocytopenia. And also some thresholds to know are things like for vaginal delivery, a platelet of between 20 to 30,000, C-section about 50,000, and then neuraxial analgesia. Usually it's above 70,000, but again is institution-based. Other considerations to remember is that operative vaginal deliveries are relatively contraindicated if there is severe maternal thrombocytopenia. However, if you must perform an operative vaginal delivery, forceps is favored over vacuum. And remember, just because if someone has ITP doesn't mean that they can't have an operative vaginal delivery. Finally, we talked a little bit about treatment of specific disorders. ITP, you can consider steroids or IVIG um, in concert with your hematology colleagues. TTP, you're looking at things like plasma exchange. And of course, the obstetric wheelhouse and preeclampsia or DIC from an abruption, you're thinking about delivery. And then finally, in terms of fetal testing and neonatal testing of platelets, there really isn't evidence to routinely test fetal platelets. And in the neonates, you should get testing of their platelets if there's concern for maternal ITP, previous neonatal thrombocytopenia in a different pregnancy, congenital anomalies associated with thrombocytopenia, neonatal infections like CMV or rubella, or bleeding or petechiae on the infant. All right. I think that does it for this week's episode. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and go onto your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Instagram and Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee. Or if you love the show and want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. Send us some love. We'll send you some swag. If you want to find show notes for this show and all of our other shows, go ahead and go onto our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. You'll also find the Rosh Review Question of the Week. Finally, if you have a correction for this episode or any of our previous episodes, a question for us, or have a suggestion, email us, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com.
All right, Nick. So we're done with our boards and uh, Kriogs are over for this year. But, you know, what do we do if we want to keep making sure that we're up to date on the most current OBGYN practices? Yeah, as we get this podcast together every week, we have to always think about our friends over at the OBG Project who have these amazing summaries that are updated every day of the week, encompassing the latest research, encompassing newest practices, um, and also posting things like Grand Rounds where they get into the controversies of modern obstetric and gynecologic practice. And for all you residents out there, they also have a great core curriculum for you to study from. Um, We know that you probably want a break after Creogs, but definitely something worth checking out. And for all you chief residents out there, you can get one year subscription to OBG First absolutely free. Head over to our website, creogsovercoffee.com. Check out the sidebar. Chiefs, find out how you can get OBG First absolutely free. And residents, get signed up for the core curriculum. 